Hello, my name is Ricky Turner, and welcome to Turner Takeover. I am currently a sophomore journalism student at Temple University. And, you know, I started this podcast because I am a huge sports fan. Um, I'm a huge Steelers and Wizards fan. And so I'm mostly going to be discussing NFL and NBA news. And at the end of each show, I'll probably discuss one or two random topics and I'm going to let the audience choose those, so I'll post them on my social media accounts. My Instagram is theallamerican84, all lowercase, and my Snapchat is rturner07. And I'll probably post what you guys want to talk about at the end of each show on there. And hopefully this turns out good. I'm excited to get this going. And let's begin. Hello everybody, we're back here with another episode of Turner Takeover. We had a little hiatus. Uh, I was busy with some stuff related to, you know, my my life here at Temple. Um, I recorded my first package for Owl Sports Update, so I was busy doing that. that and I was also producing um, an episode for Temple Sports Brief. You know, it didn't work out the way I wanted to last week, but we're re-recording it this week. Uh, and me recording it last week, it just didn't leave a lot of time for me to record an episode. I was just, I was swamped with work. I was just, I was stressed out. And I unfortunately just could not get anything out. I wanted to, but it was just, there was no way that was going to happen. I just, just a lot to do and I had a little amount of time so I sort of had to skip a week and you know refresh but we're back here we are back I did not quit I did not quit I'm not quitting no 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 we're not quitting here we don't quit we, we push through but we got a lot to talk about you know the Super Bowl I know that's probably a little bit dated but we got the Super Bowl we got the Matt Stafford trade um, JJ Watt release and I think Ben Roethlisberger's retirement. We have an all packed in one episode. We also have some basketball we're going to talk later. Uh, well, we'll get into that. Uh, first, we're, you know, I, this may seem a little dated, as I said before, but we're going to get into the Super Bowl. My thoughts on what happened there. Tampa Bay winning 31-9 to in a shock to me. I My prediction going into the Super Bowl and... I have a couple friends that could account for this. I said Tampa Bay 31, Kansas City 34. I was right with Tampa Bay. Kansas City, I didn't expect to get nine. I don't think anyone expected them to get nine. Uh, but that's the way it went. Uh, Brady now wins his seventh Super Bowl, his fifth Super Bowl MVP, and adding on to his already Hall of Fame career. Uh, the GOAT, you can call him whatever you want. He is the GOAT in terms of the most accomplished quarterback of all time. Um, Brady, a solid outing, nothing too spectacular. He went 21 of 29, 201 yards, three touchdowns. Leonard Fournette, 16 rushes, 89 yards, one touchdown. And he led the attack with 145 rushing yards in total for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So a nice balance there for them. I think they also had like 29 on, it was on 29 rushes. So a good balance there for uh, Tampa Bay in terms of running and passing the football. Gronk had a huge game. Six receptions, 67 yards, two touchdowns. That that connection just never gets old. Didn't get old in the Super Bowl. 
know, they've been playing together for a while, and it did. They again connect for two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And Devin White, I don't talk about defensive players often, but this this guy's going to be special. This guy is going to be special. He's arguably one of the best linebackers in the NFL currently. He is amazing. Um, future All-Pro. Um, I could easily see this guy being a defensive player of the year candidate as well. He can do a little bit of everything and. Tampa Bay made the right choice by selecting him. You know, it was him and Devin Bush a few years ago in the 2019 draft. Uh, Tampa Bay went with Devin White and Pittsburgh, I think, traded up to try and get Devin Bush. Devin Bush, again, who I think has around the near same, around the same potential as Devin White. But, you know, we're not going to get into Devin, Devin Bush. We're going to stay with Devin White. Devin White, 10 tackles. Uh, He's all over the field. His speed and team. This is the modern day linebacker. He's the definition of it. He's a guy who can. Teams are starting to sacrifice size for speed at the linebacker position in terms of that middle linebacker position. What they're looking for, they're willing to sacrifice a couple inches of size just to get that same amount of speed so that these linebackers could cover you know, running backs, tight ends. Hey, if you're the if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, you need your linebackers to cover wide receivers as well. So, yeah, they're they're really teams are starting to value speed at the linebacker position. And this guy, he's going to be special. He is going to be real special. Um, and we're Pat Mahomes, 26 of 49, 270 yards, two interceptions, pressured 29 times. Compare that with Tom Brady four times, and that's the fewest in any of his Super Bowls. I think um, he also, it was the first time Brady, I think, scored a touchdown in the first quarter of his Super Bowls as well. So a lot of, a lot of, a couple um, notable things in Brady's Super Bowl runs right there. Uh, Kelsey, 10 receptions, 133 yards. Hill, 7 receptions, 73 yards. That's about as good as you're going to get in terms of shutting these two down. Uh, neither of them had a touchdown. It was just a mess for Kansas City offensively. The, this Super Bowl was a complete shock to me and probably to everyone in the country because no one expected... A, I, if any... if a team was going to blow out someone. It was going to be the Chiefs blowing out the Bucs, in my opinion, just because that explosive offense of the Chiefs and that, that secondary of the Bucs was just... It, it was porous. But uh, it, 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 this game shocked me because Tampa Bay was all over Pat Mahomes. Just I know Mahomes out both of his tackles, and that just, it showed the whole game ridiculous. He couldn't do anything. He <laughs> he like he scrambled for a record amount of yards. I think it was 497 yards. He scrambled in that game for. Like he was under duress all night. You know, Tom Brady got the MVP of that game, but man, Todd Bowles is just I think Todd Bowles, you know, you can't give it to a coach, but if you could I think this is the perfect time to. Todd Bowles shut down one of the most explosive offenses we've ever seen with Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Like, this team was special. It, they seem like a juggernaut. 
And Todd Bowles goes in there with a great game plan. He just said, this team's offensive line is decimated, and the Chiefs missing both of their tackles had a bigger impact on this game than I originally thought. But man, he just blitz after... Sometimes it wasn't even blitzes. It was just this Chiefs O-line getting flat-out beat. And man, they made Mahomes look ordinary, which is hard to do. Props to Todd Bowles. Props to him. He's done a great job with this defense this season. And on the biggest stage, his defense shows up. And that's a credit to him, the players on that field, obviously. I mean, it's a credit to both of them. The preparation they put in. You know, all week, teams have been saying, how are you going to stop this Chiefs offense? It's just so explosive. And the Bugs made it look easy. They made Mahomes look ordinary. And and that's hard to do because he's so special. He extends plays. He was running for his life most of that game. And some of the throws he made while getting tossed around were incredible. Incredible. But he just he couldn't do it. He was just under too much duress most of this game, thanks to Todd Bowles and this this pass rush of the of the Bucks. And the Chiefs just you know, the Chiefs had a big stop early in the game. They had a stop on fourth and goal, and the red zone defense going into this game was last and giving up in terms of touchdown percentage. Teams were scoring almost 80% of the time on them. So they get a stop. The Chiefs can't do anything with the ball, unfortunately. But their punter, who oof, he had a rough night, uh, just he dropped the he dropped a punt, he shanked a punt, he just the rookie did not look he wasn't built for the bright lights. Uh, they had Dustin Colquitt, I guess. Maybe releasing Dustin Colquitt was maybe a mistake because at least when you have when you're on that big stage, like you have a veteran punter back there. You have a veteran punter. This was a rookie. He just did not look good. He did not perform well, and that's part of the reason why they lost. Just his punting on the day was just it, it set the Bucks up with some pretty good field position at some inopportune times, um, and you know. Most of this first half, unfortunately, was just it was just a lot of Tampa Bay. Um, the Bucks just it was just it was a, a very dominating game for Tampa Bay. And another thing I noticed, and I've seen this, I've, 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 I hate Tom Brady. One part of this is one of the main reasons because he seems to get every call. The, that call at the end of the half with Mike Evans that resulted in a touchdown to Antonio Brown. I think. That would have made it like they would have had to settle. I think it would have been 17 to uh, 17 to nine, I believe. Yeah, I think it would have been 17 to nine going into halftime. But um, the refs, uh, Brady sees Mike Evans one on one with Tyron Matthew. Mike Evans is a big body, so yeah, that's that's a pretty good matchup if you're Tom Brady. You know, you see your big big jump ball wide out wide out on Tyron Matthew who's I don't know what is he six I don't know what he is but Tyron Matthew isn't the biggest guy on the field that's the point um and he throws a terrible jump ball absolutely nowhere near Mike Evans whatsoever nothing and when you're calling pass interference here's the thing about that 
pass interference, like, it's got to be catchable, okay? That's part of the reason. It's got to be catchable. Tom Brady threw this ball. I think it almost hit, like, that back wall, like, right where the fans are. It hit, it hit that back wall. They throw a flag. I'm like, that's not a penalty. Tom Brady didn't make that ball catchable whatsoever. Was there contact? Yes. But Tom Brady didn't place the ball. It didn't affect the result of the play. Tom Brady didn't place the ball well at all. But he got the call. They got the touchdown end of the half, and it resulted in Tampa, uh, Tampa being up 21-6. Um, and it's just, he, he seems to get every single call, and it aggravates me. Like, even the last week with that, or not the, I'm talking in terms of, like, the game before they played that against the Packers. Even that play, like, they made a, a call at the end of the game. Like, the game was physical for the most part. The game was, like, they, they, were, they were calling it pretty close. And at the end of the game, they call another flag. Of, it, everything just seems to go Brady's way, and it aggravates me. It aggravates the hell out of me. But, you know, I guess that's what you get. You get that star treatment. He seems to get sometimes above that star treatment to me. But, um, and another thing that aggravates me about Tom Brady, people seem to over, like, over congratulate him on a performance. You look at this game, he was 21 of 29 for 200 yards and three touchdowns. He was only hurried four times. And he was, no one's talking about this. What about Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones? They combined for 145 rushing yards. Why aren't we talking about them more? I mean, Brady played, he played a good game. And one of the things uh, outside of last week he does well is not turn over the ball. So like, it's, it, you know, Brady had a good performance, but let's not, let's not. It wasn't a GOAT performance. It wasn't a noteworthy performance. We're going to remember of all time. Remember all time. I'm, eh, sorry. Um, but, uh, and then his defense shut down one of the best offenses in the league. That's what I'm going to remember from this game. Todd Bowles' defense getting two picks off Pat Mahomes, making him run for his life all game, only allowing them nine points. Uh, to a team that could get 30, that makes getting 30 look easy. Like, don't get me wrong, Tom Brady's a great, he's a great quarterback. He's one of the best all time. But come on, it wasn't that good of a performance. It was good, but it wasn't go-worthy. I mean, he had 200 yards and three touchdowns. He didn't throw for 400. Um, and like, we don't discredit him when he's bad either. Like Tom Brady in the second half of that Green Bay game was seven of 14 with three interceptions. Why didn't we hear about that? He almost cost him te his team the game. He, he, like, we have to treat like that fairly. Like say that's LeBron James. I know this is basketball, but say LeBron James goes like two of 10 with like five turnovers in the second half. Are we going to get on him and, and say, oh, he almost caught I'm, I'm sure Skip Bayless would be like, oh, LeBron, was not J Jordan would never go 2 of 10 
with three interceptions in a, or two, two of ten with five turnovers in the second half of an NBA Finals game. I am Skip Bayless would hop right on that narrative, but I don't see Skip saying Tom Brady must cost his team to game. He went seven to fourteen with three interceptions in the second half of an NFC Championship game. Um, his defense stopped him two out of the three drives that he threw picks on. So. And I think they allowed like 12 yards combined on those two drives. So, like, Tom Brady's good and all, but I think we need to recognize his supporting cast more, more, a little bit more, and discredit Brady a little bit more when he deserves to be discredited. Because as great as you are, you're not untouchable. We could discredit your performances when you have bad performances. You're not untouchable. And that's that's objective, objective sports broadcasting at its finest. We need to realize, hey, he didn't play well. Although he's 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 historically been great, he didn't play well tonight. We gotta discredit him there. And Brady, Brady's the goat to me in this respect. He's the most accomplished QB of all time. When you jumble together stats, winning, Super Bowls, individual accolades, all that. He's the most accomplished QB of all time. Of all time. Talent-wise, if, if you want me to pick a talented QB, like one of the most talented QBs of all time, I don't think he's on the same level as Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's on the same level as Peyton Manning in terms of being a, a pure passer. Like they, these guys don't have the accolades that Brady's have. They don't. They're not as accomplished as Brady. Even Pat Mahomes. Early, I know it's early. I know it's early. But the way his he's trending, he's trending right in the direction of Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning in terms of being great at at, at just being a talented passer, a passer of the football, being able to make all the throws on the field. Brady's not that guy. Brady can't make. He can only dream of making the throws that Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Pat Mahomes. He's only he can only dream of making the throws that those guys make. I mean, these these guys aren't on his level in terms of individual accomplishments, accolades, stats, winning. They're not on his level in terms of that. Okay, maybe Peyton Manning is, but he doesn't have the Super Bowls. Peyton Manning is a five-time MVP winner. But he doesn't have the Super Bowls that Brady has. Um, and, you know, Tampa, congrats to Tampa on winning the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it, again, no one, I didn't think they'd win this. I, Again, I picked against Tampa Bay for the past, the, the last three games of those playoffs. I, I picked the Saints to win. I picked the Packers to win. I picked the Chiefs to win. None of that happened. Props to them. Um, they came out and they dismantled a just a dominant Chiefs team that no no one thought could be stopped. But sure enough, they did. And they're going into the offseason again, probably as one of the best teams in the NFL and the NFC right up there with the, the Chiefs. The Chiefs will be back. They'll be right back in the mix. But the could this Chiefs go to could this Chiefs team go to another Super Bowl and win with the roster they have constructed right now? Yeah, they could. But there are holes. There are, I think, some things that they need to fix. 
the old line was uh, terrible. Um, so I think they're going to need some help along that old line to protect Mahomes, so that doesn't happen again, because they made Mahomes look very ordinary in that game, and I think that was, you know, they had both tackles missing. Eric Fisher, arguably their best lineman, is out with a torn Achilles the week be- before, so that was a killer one. That might have been the nail in the coffin of that Chiefs O line, but. Yeah, they're going to need some help along the O-line. And outside of Kelsey and Hill, I, I don't know who their other wide receiver is. I, I, I get it. There's there's McCole Hardman. There's Sammy Watkins. But I think they need another guy. I think they need, like, a big jump ball wide receiver that Patrick Mahomes could throw it to. I think they need someone like that. A, a downfield threat. A jump ball guy who they could go into the red zone with. Because they have the weapons. They, I think they... But you can always get better. And... Lastly, I do think they need more help, defensive help, in the secondary. I, they, they just need more defensive help. And yeah, the secondary, maybe maybe another pass rusher. You know, got Chris Jones, Frank Clark. Maybe get another pass rusher because um, you can always improve if, if you're a team in the NFL. You, you, you can never stay complacent with the roster you have. You always have to be thinking about what can we improve on? Because other teams in the NFL are improving, are trying to build their roster to beat you. So you have to find the weaknesses in your roster and keep tweaking them and keep updating them so you can never be beaten. And the Chiefs deserve to be the favorite coming out of the AFC next year, as they probably will be. Uh, they'll be right back in that AFC championship game probably. And But there's always some... This that Super Bowl showed that this Chiefs team isn't complete. They do need some more pieces on that roster. So now Andy Reid, this Chiefs team, gonna go in, into the offseason and try and improve their roster. And I'm not worried about them. They'll be back, uh, but they just got beaten down. And that's about it. You take the loss, you go home, you try and improve if you're the Chiefs. Then Patrick Mahomes said it perfectly. They'll be back. He has no doubt about it. I have no doubt about it either. They'll be back. But uh, we're going to transition into our next topic here. Um, Matt Stafford going to L.A. Uh, Matt Stafford going to L.A. This... This was a huge move uh, for both teams. Two teams headed in slightly different direction in terms of, you know, aspirations coming up in the next seasons and the next few seasons after. Um, Detroit, you know, they gave up Stafford, but in return, they get two first rounders in 2022, or one, well, one in 2022, one in 2023, and they get a third rounder in 2021. Right now, the Rams don't seem to care about their first-round picks, and if you keep winning, I guess stick to your formula. Uh, They don't have a first-round pick until 2024. Yes, you heard that correctly, 2024. They do not have a first-round pick. They don't seem to care. They seem to be doing just fine. Uh, Hmm. And Detroit... um, Detroit is getting younger. They're rebuilding. They're getting a new roster there in Detroit. Uh, Dan Campbell, 
you know, they're going to try and build around Jared Goff, who didn't really feel appreciated in L.A. He didn't seem to feel the same like he was being loved by Sean McVay. And everyone needs some love. I don't care how bad of a player you are. You need some love. If you don't feel love in the place you're at, then you should probably get out, especially if you're a quarterback and you're not feeling love and and security from your coaching staff. So, you know, it's a, it's a fresh start for Jared Goff. Jared Goff now finally gets to prove, is he a good quarterback? Because I am one of the people that has believed Sean McVay has hidden some of Jared Goff's um, weaknesses. I don't think Jared Goff's a guy who can go out there and throw it 40 times and win you a football game. I think he needs a solid run game. Something that he's not going to really have in Detroit. Um, I, I like They have DeAndre Swift there. They have Carrion Johnson. They have some good players there in Detroit. Kenny Galladay. I think they have Marvin Jones still there. So there, there's some guys there in Detroit that he could throw the football to. TJ Hawkinson at tight end. He's got some weapons around him. Detroit, his defense, not great. But Dan Campbell... You know, they're going to slowly build things out there. Dan Campbell, remember, a former player? He's trying to hire high-character guys. Guys that, you know, change the feeling around an organization. They set the tone. They set the expectations. They, they make sure they're getting the most out of you. That's what Dan Campbell wants. He wants to get the most out of his players. And as every coach should, they coaches want to get the most out of their players they could. And it starts with hiring the right guys around him to, to get that. So he's trying. I think he brought in Deuce Staley, a former, a longtime Philadelphia Eagle. He's going into Detroit now to help out Dan Campbell with his coaching staff. And it's it's not going to be an instant impact with you know Detroit. Detroit, you, you, it's been a sad, sad, long. Long, a long couple years, a long just eternity of a franchise because they haven't had much playoff success. Detroit's, you know, and for as long as they've been around, they just they're not a playoff team. You don't hear about Detroit being a playoff team, and as long as they've been around, they just haven't had much success. It's it's been it's, it's been tough being a Detroit Lion fan. I'll put it that way. It's been tough, but. You know, you guys stay passionate, and I'll give you that. You still love your football team. As long as, you know, you got to support your team through the ups and downs. Um, but as for, let's move on to the let's move on to the Rams here. This is the more interesting side, I think. The Rams are in win-now mode, obviously. You know, you don't have a first-round pick until 2024. I hope you're in win-now mode. If not, then you're in trouble. Um, but you bring in Matt Stafford, and I think Matt Stafford is well above the level of Jared Goff. And I think Matt Stafford is going to be out, you know, to, to prove some people wrong. You know, people say, oh, he's, he's not, he's overrated. And I think Matt Stafford's a very underrated quarterback. I think his talents weren't used properly or weren't, they weren't, what's the word I'm looking for? 
They weren't used to the best ability in Detroit. They didn't surround him with the best guys. I mean, he had good guys around him. You have Calvin Johnson for a couple years, but he hasn't had really great defenses around him. He hasn't had a great run game around him. So they sort of failed him in that aspect. And Matt Stafford, you know, he liked Detroit. He played with a lot of injuries that past season. I think a torn UCL in his thumb or wrist and in his elbow. Um, he he wanted to win in Detroit, but it was just obvious. These two franchises were moving in two different directions. You know, you hire a new GM, you hire a new head coach. It, it, and he's going to bring in his guys. It, it, it just didn't line up with what the timeline, what Detroit wanted to do. Detroit's it, sort of in rebuilding mode. Matt Stafford, I'm sure, wants to win a championship. So you're not going to – it wouldn't make sense for either of them. And this, I guess they ended on good terms. You know, Matt Stafford is a final goodbye. Him and his wife, they they loved Michigan. They loved the city of Detroit. They donated a million dollars for an education center down there as a final goodbye and that's very nice of them uh just shows you how much that city has meant to them and you know team players do you know build relationships in that city they build they get up they, they're big into the community like matt stafford was um they they really connect with the community around them and it and it probably pains them to say goodbye because it's sort of like maybe in a way they feel they're backstabbing the community that they gave everything to. And now they're like, OK, see you later. Goodbye. But, you know, teams, players become connected to the community. And it's, it's, it's so hard for some of these guys to say goodbye because they want they want to give back to the community. They, they wanted to bring a championship to the city. But in the end, Matt Stafford just couldn't. But he's moving now to L.A. where he gets a huge, uh, great roster. Uh, He teams up with Sean McVay, Cam Akers, Cooper Cup, um, Robert Woods, Tyler Higbee, and arguably the best defense in the league. So you're teaming Matt Stafford and already he's a 5,000-yard passer. He's he's one of eight QBs in NFL history to do so. You're going to team him up with Sean McVay, a, a QB guru? Listen, I'm maybe I may be too hyped about this team, but I think Matt Stafford is going to be in the MVP conversation next year. I think he is. I think he's going to have a very good year in in L.A. with this system, with the pieces around him. He has a run game. He has a defense that he could rely on. Listen, sky's the limit here. And Matt Stafford's a guy, if the run game's not going, he could drop back 40 times and give it to you that way. Matt Stafford could pull out the no-look passes, the sidearms, the crazy throws. I mean, Matt Stafford's underappreciated. Matt Stafford has, like, you look at his film, Aaron Rodgers has even said it. Matt Stafford's very underrated. He's in his division. He's seen him play twice a year for his whole career. So, yeah, he's probably like, yeah, Matt Stafford does some crazy things, but he's just been on a bad team. And it's true. Matt Stafford's uber talented. He's not Mahomes, but tell me this. Can Matt Stafford be a top 10 QB in this system with McVay? Yeah, easily. I think Matt Stafford could be a top 10 QB. He's If not, he's borderline. He's right there. Jared Goff, to me, was middle of the pack to below average at times. 
Matt Stafford, he's above average. Easily, he's above average. He's not average. Oh, he's easily above average. And I'm excited to see what this team, what this Rams team is going to be this year. Because to me, you could argue this is the most complete roster in the NFC already. You could argue that. Even though I know the Bucks just won the Super Bowl. I know that. But man, you have talent exploding on both sides of the ball. Whew, this team's gonna be hard to beat. Very hard to beat. They're easy, they're the favorites in the NFC West. They should be up there in the NFC. And they should also be, they should be up there in terms of Super Bowl favorites. They should be up there as well. That's how talented this team is. They are. They're so good. And Matt Stafford, he's, he's going to bring a new dimension to this offense. He's going to be a guy you could rely on that Sean McVay is going to trust. I know Matt Stafford's 32. I know he's aging, but the way they're protecting the QBs these days, I mean, he could play for a little bit. You can get three, four years out of him. Three, four good solid years out of Matt Stafford. I still think he could. I mean, I haven't seen anything that's shown me otherwise. I mean, he's been stuck in Detroit his whole career. I mean, he's, he's a very underappreciated quarterback. And I think, you know, he's in L.A. He finally gets the bright lights and he finally gets the time to shine. That's going to be the thing, though. This The pressure for this Rams team is going to be through the roof. Like... The expectations are Super Bowl or NFC champions. That's the expectations, at least for me, for this, for the Rams right now. The bar is very high. And if, if they don't live up to expectations, man, this is going to be tough. Because now, I, I, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't live up to expectations. But just saying, if they, if they don't, they don't have a first pick until 2024. So, you know, even if you do bad, you're not going to be rewarded for doing bad because you don't have a first-round pick. I, I mean, it's, it's going to be really hard for this Rams team to do bad with the roster they have. But it's, it's, anything's possible in the NFL. An injury here, an injury there, and suddenly you're in trouble. But I expect this team to be top-notch, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL, easily. And this is a team we're going to be talking to maybe for the first time in Matt Stafford's career. We're going to be talking about them into, you know, January, February. We're going to be talking about this team come playoff time and how good they are. Just watch out. Dark Horse MVP candidate. Mark my words. Matt Stafford. I'm telling you. Just believe in me. But that's, we're going to transition to another QB in the NFC West. This time on the Seattle Seahawks, we're going to transition right into Russell Wilson. And he comes out and blasts the Seahawks organization. And we'll see what happens there. I'm going to get into Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson doesn't cause much drama. It, but when he does, it's sort of a big deal. 
and this one sort of does seem like a big deal. Russell Wilson, if you haven't already know, he came out earlier this week and saying that he's sick of getting hit. He is sick of getting hit. And he's, you know, dissatisfied with the O-lines and teams are starting to call about him. Number one, let's get this straight. He's not going anywhere. What in... Who's better than Russell Will... Who better are the Seahawks going to get than Russell Wilson? Who? I'd love to know who the Seahawks are going to get that currently is, is, is better than Russell Wilson. You're not going to find anyone, so he's not going anywhere. The Seahawks aren't that dumb. They're not going to trade their MVP caliber quarterback. They're not They're not in rebuilding mode. No, the Seahawks currently seem to always be in contention, and I don't see that changing. So, no, Russell Wilson isn't going anywhere. But with that said, it is sort of a big deal, and I can see why Will, Wilson's furious. Um, Wilson's been sacked. 394 times since entering the league. He's been sacked 40 times, except for his rookie year in 2012. He's he's been sacked 47 times each of the past three years. And he's at an an 8.33% pressure rate, which, again, is definitely among the highest in the NFL. Probably is the highest. And it might be a little, it might be the highest by, there might be a little bit of a margin there. So, number one, I'm not, Wilson, number one, deserves to call this organization out. They haven't addressed the offensive line really well. They, he's been, I mean, it's, it's one thing, like, if it just started, like, last year, but this is, he's been sacked 40 times every year in his career except for his rookie year. So yeah, I'd be a little ticked off too. He, he's kept his mouth shut for as long as he could. And Russell Wilson, let me get this straight, he didn't have a great game in that playoff game in the wild card round against the Rams. He didn't play well. That Some of that's on him, some of that's his O-line just being terrible. Like, like... Like, otherworldly bad. They're lucky Russell Wilson is a mobile QB. You put someone out there like Ben Roethlisberger who can't move, Ben might have gotten sacked maybe 60 times behind this O-line. That's how bad this O-line is. They're they're lucky Russell Wilson can move and extend plays. Or he he might have been... If they had a guy like, like... Tom Brady, Big Ben, Phillip Rivers back there, they might be getting sacked 60 times. I mean, some of that, you know, Russell sometimes does hold the ball too long, but I mean, 394 times, um, you you don't hold the ball long that many times, so yeah, your old line just, it's not good. They do need to listen to Russell Wilson, though. I mean, He's running for his life back there. They haven't addressed this problem very well. They drafted a guy in the third round last year, and then they have Dwayne Brown. So their O-line isn't good. They need to address that in this draft. I mean, I know they have some defensive needs they need to, you know, address as well, but Russell Wilson needs to feel safe back there. He doesn't want to run around behind... A porous O-line 
a Swiss cheese O-line. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to feel safe and comforted behind his O-line. No QB should have to feel like they're running for their lives every single play like Russell Wilson does. So, I mean, if the Seahawks officials and a report came out that they were upset by this, I mean, what's... This guy's got to say something. He's got to make it known that he's displeased. He could have came out a while ago with this. He could have been playing, complaining off-season after off-season after off-season about this. Hey, and maybe even demanding a trade. But no, this guy loves the city of Seattle. And he just bottled up his emotions. He, he, he wanted... He, he didn't want the bad press. And, you know, he finally got tired of it and just said, Yeah, I am tired of getting hit. I've been sacked 390, almost 400 times throughout my... What? Nine-year career? Yeah, eight or nine-year career? Yeah, I am a little ticked off. I have the right to be ticked off, too. Because I, I don't feel protected. I don't. I mean... Come on, bro. I mean... Russell Wilson just... Oh boy, he's he doesn't deserve this. He's he's a good guy. The city the city of Seattle loves him. He's probably gonna have his jersey retired in Seattle. Like he's a very accomplished player in this organization, so I, I think he should have some kind of say of saying, hey, maybe I need an old lineman. I got sacked 47 times last year. You know, yeah, I have to stop holding the ball onto the ball too long. But also, I need someone to protect me. I can't keep running around here. Because one wrong hit and Russell Wilson could tear his ACL and never be the same player. So, yeah, if I'm the Seahawks, I probably want to draft a lineman. I probably do just to protect your MVP caliber quarterback. But again, that's just my decision. That, that's my opinion. You know, hey, maybe maybe they just don't want to protect him at all and one time he gets hurt. Who's their backup? Who's, who is, um, who's Seattle's backup? You know, let's do that. Let's, let's see Seattle's backup. Let's see who comes in. If, if Russell Wilson decides, if Russell Wilson goes out, who's Seattle's backup? My man, let's go, baby. Geno Smith, okay? Geno Smith. You're telling me Geno Smith can't go in there and do what Russell Wilson does? No, he can't. He can't. Not, not at all. Geno Smith can't do it. Geno Smith was a very overhyped prospect. He had a couple good games, and all of a sudden, he's a top QB prospect that gets drafted by the Jets. And actually, shout out to Geno Smith for this. Because a couple years ago, I was playing on Madden Ultimate Team. Me and my friend did these wagers, and I threw a pick with Geno Smith. No surprise. It's probably my fault. I'm not a great Madden player. I, I make bad reads and I, I like as soon as I make a throw, I realize I'm like, that's a bad read. And then I get picked off. Um, or sometimes I'm like, don't throw it, don't throw it, don't throw it. And I, I just throw it and I get picked off. But anyway, but Geno Smith threw a pick and 
you know, my friends return in it. I do a hit stick with Geno, Geno Smith. He makes the guy fumble. We get the ball back. I'm like, let's go, Geno. Let's go, baby. Geno Smith. I mean, but back to Seattle's backup story. Um, no, you don't want Geno. Geno Smith can't be Russell Wilson. So if I'm the Seattle front office, yeah, I'm probably considering drafting an O-lineman at, I don't know what pick you are, but, you know, I'd probably consider drafting an O-lineman or maybe signing some in the offseason. Just saying, you know, protect your QB. But that's going to... It's all for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's a fun guy. I, I respect Russell Wilson. I love his game. I think he's a great quarterback, MVP caliber, but sometimes comes up a little bit small in the playoffs. Some some of, some of fault of his own, some fault of his own line. But, you know, I, I still respect Russell Wilson. He's a good person. Does a lot for the city of Seattle. And I hope everything's going to work out there. He's not leaving. I know everyone's big in the, oh, he's going to, no, he's not. Because Seattle's not going to find anyone better. Let's, but let's move on to another QB situation. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. Yeah, we're going to get into some Carson Wentz. Uh, I love talking Carson. I've been probably talking Carson Wentz between this show and, you know, W, my radio show on WHIP Fridays 2 to 2.55 for those of you who are interested in listening. Um... Carson Wentz trade rumors. Um, to me, Carson Wentz is done in in Philly. And, you know, news broke this week about the young receivers wanting to work out with Jalen Hurts down in Texas next month. So to me, he's done. The Bears and Colts are currently the favorites to land Carson Wentz with the Texans and 49ers also interested. Um... And the Eagles, to me, they haven't. Ex- I thought he'd be traded by this week. I thought we'd be talking about a trade for Carson Wentz, but we haven't. We haven't. Um, the Eagles' um, report came out that they want what the Lions got for Stafford, and let me tell you right away, that's not going to happen. No way, no how, because we know what Matt Stafford could do. We know what Matt Stafford is. One of eight QBs to throw for 5,000 yards. He's been undervalued by the... Well, un, he hasn't gotten enough support around him in Detroit. Matt Stafford's one of the most talented throwers of the football we have in the game today. What do, What's Carson Wentz coming off of? Carson Wentz is injury prone. He's dis decision-making issues. He had 18 interceptions last year. Remember that? Just saying. 18 interceptions. Some of, some, you know, Doug Peterson had some contributions in those, but Carson Wentz isn't, isn't blame-free here. Carson Wentz still has some issues with some decision-making. But Carson Wentz, when given the opportunity, again, with the right coaching staff, he's a top 10 QB. He's a top 10 QB with the coaching staff, the right players around him. That's why I'm, I've been preaching, Indianapolis, make this happen. Or Eagles, lower your expectations. Because hard facts, you're not getting what, what the Lions got for Stafford. That's not happening. There's too much risk involved. You know, we have a huge cap risk. It's, it's just too much to worry about with Carson Wentz. Way too much. You need to lower your standards. 
you're shooting for like a 10, a, a 10 out of 10 right now, you might need to tone that down, your expectations. You're not all, Carson Wentz, you may think he's all that, and he could be all that, but right now he isn't all that. He isn't because of what just happened last year. Um, I'm, I'm Indianapolis, you know, you got, you got Michael Pittman, T.Y. Hilton, Jonathan Taylor, a solid O-line that's only missing a left tackle, arguably the most important position on the offensive line because that's your QB's blind side. But every other position they're fine at on the offensive line. So you're not, it's not like you're in Philly where you're going to have 14 different offensive line combinations. No, you're going to know what you have in front of you each and every week. And you know, you have Jack Doyle. Michael Pittman, T.Y. Hilton, Jonathan Taylor. They have a young and upcoming defense. They have some secondary issues that they probably need to address. But you have Darius Leonard, another up-and-coming linebacker. Arguably the best linebacker in the league right now. And he's very young. And you know, they have a, they're have great up front against the run. The only thing that worries about worries me about this tech, or Colts team is that back four, that's secondary. I don't know how good they're going to be. But other than that, this is a solid Colts roster. I really do think, you know, you bring him in with Frank Reich. Frank Reich, he had his best seasons under Frank Reich. He had that MVP season. Like, come on. The Eagles need to lower their standards, number one, and the Colts... The Colts need him. The Colts have a good roster. They just need a QB. And I think Carson Wentz could be that QB because Carson Wentz is, a, again, a good quarterback. I've said it. He's a good quarterback. I'm not disrespecting Carson Wentz. He didn't have a great season last year. But overall, Carson Wentz is a good quarterback. And he needs a home, and that home should be in Indianapolis. Playing with Frank Reich and this young core that they have in Indy. And next we're going to get into another person that wants out. This was a bit of a surprise, but Orlando Brown requested a trade from the Baltimore Ravens as he wants to... Most of last season, he played left tackle due to the injury that happened to Ronnie Stanley earlier in the year. Um, And that's a big blow to that Baltimore Ravens line because this man, I think his nickname is Zeus. He's 6'8", 344 pounds. So this guy's a, a very large man. But why does he want out? He wants to stay at left tackle. And with Ronnie Stanley coming back, um, I just don't see how that's possible for him to stay at left tackle unless Ronnie Stanley moves to right tackle. Because he's normally Baltimore's starting right tackle, but he wants to stick at left tackle because he wants to honor his late father, Orlando Brown, um, Hall of Famer. He played for the Ravens, and he actually dreamed about his son, being a left tackle for the Ravens, but it, it just it didn't work out that way. He's currently a right tackle, but he's a two-time Pro Bowler, and he's very young. So the Ravens are going to probably ask for a lot of compensation in return for him. But it, it's a huge blow to the Ravens' system because they're a very physical football team, a 
very physical, upfront football team. And he's a big part of that line. And he was so young. He's so young. And the Ravens seem to be honoring his trade request. And they're trying to find a team that wants him and are going to give him the right compens are going to give the Ravens the right compensation. Again, he's got the nickname Zeus, and for a good reason. The guy's as I said, he's 6'8, almost 350. That's a large man. And you know, he wants to play left tackle. The Ravens definitely gonna get some calls for him. Because, I mean, the guy's a two-time Pro Bowler. I think he's been in the league two years. So, yeah, they're going to get some calls. They're going to get some... They're, they're going to definitely ask a very hefty price for him, too, as they should. Because this guy's gonna he's got a bright future. And at the trajectory he's going, I'm, I'm, I, I definitely give up a decent bit to get him. Especially at, this, at arguably the most important position along the offensive line, left tackle. Um, you know, as a Steelers fan, whew, I know the, this prob, this definitely isn't going to happen. No way, no how. But I wouldn't mind seeing Orlando Brown. You know, he's proved himself. He's a two-time Pro Bowler. I wouldn't mind having him around, especially for Ben's last go at QB. Actually, we don't know about that because of the news I'll explain later about Marquise Pouncey retiring. We'll get into that later. But, you know, as a Steelers fan, I wouldn't mind seeing a 6'8", 344-pound man. Like, that's a man. Like, like that. that's a grown dude. You don't want to mess with him. You don't want to see him in a back alley at night because you're going to get your face pounded. In. This is a very... This is... Ooh, he's just like it just the pure on size and alone and this guy performed terrible at the combine and this is why you don't always look at combine numbers you know he performed terrible at the combine the guy couldn't run but man he fell he fell he was gifted to the Ravens in like the third round like amazing story and combine numbers don't tell it all i don't know why people are so obsessed with the combine yeah yeah you know you get some you get some guys who were just at that athletically gifted he wasn't but he's a he doesn't mean he's not a good football player doesn't mean he's not he's a damn good football player two-time pro bowler yeah in our in his first two i'm not sure three seasons yeah i'd say he's a pretty good football player combine stats don't tell it all but, you know, back to the Steelers. Yeah, I wouldn't mind the Steelers, you know, giving up some stuff to try and get Orlando Brown. I'd like to see them protect Ben. And they need a left tackle. Because as we saw last year, Alejandro Villanueva just wasn't it. He just wasn't it for this Pittsburgh team. Ugh. Alejandro Villanueva was just bad last year. Great story. Great person. But he just, he, he regressed terribly. And another team, some more teams that, you know, need to protect their QBs. How about the Philadelphia Eagles? A team that had 14 different offensive line combinations. So, you know, you have Lane Johnson at right tackle. Former Oklahoma Sooner. Jason Peters is 40 years old. Jason Peters shouldn't be playing another down of football because, number one, his production's not that good, and he's always hurt. And, I mean, you just you need to protect your QB. And to solidify that left tackle, 
I mean, you have Lane Johnson on one side and Orlando Brown on the other side. That's a pretty good tackle duo, I'd say at least. I mean, Orlando Brown, very good player. And, you know, you have him there and he's a pillar for the next, you know, 10 years at left tackle. Maybe a little less, but you, you get the point. He's there for a little bit and, you know, you could sort of build in other places and that'll help you. You know, getting a guy that could protect whoever your QB is, most likely going to be Jalen Hurts. You, you want your QB to be protected. And the two most important things of a football, important components of a football team, in my opinion, are the offensive and defensive lines. Because number one, you want to protect your QB. You want to protect your QB. And number your defensive line, you want to attack to get opposing teams QB. So I think that sort of sets the tone of your offense and defense, the the two, the people up front, the guys doing the dirty work in up front, those are the guys that set the tone for the football team. And if you can protect your QB well, and you can get to the opposing QB well, you probably have a pretty good football team. It definitely helps. It definitely is a significant improvement to have a great offensive and defensive line. And if you're the Eagles, you know, you have a lot of things to address, the offensive line being one of them. This makes sense, go out and get Orlando Brown, who's still really young. I get the asking price is going to be very steep, but this will this could very well work out for you. And I know you're probably not going to give up that first round pick you have this year because that's too valuable. But, you know, next year, I don't know. You know, you need to... You definitely want to help out whoever your QB is. And we're going to go next team on the list. Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson just asked for some help up front because he's sick of getting sacked. This move makes sense. Go out and get a 6'8", 344-pound road grader. That'll protect your QB. That'll make him happy. That'll show you at that'll show Russell Wilson that you actually care about him. Like, that makes so much sense. Because, you know, he's sick of getting sacked. And then Every, every little thing helps. And you're a contender. And you want Russell Wilson to be happy. He's your QB. It just makes so much sense for them to do this move. So, if I'm Seattle, I might be giving Baltimore a call as well. And last but not least, Jacksonville. Both of their tackles are terrible. Cam Robinson and there's I can't get the other one. But you're drafting Trevor Lawrence. You want him to feel safe. You you don't want him getting hurt. Again, big most important position along the offensive line, left tackle, Orlando Brown. He's it, it just makes sense. You're you're drafting your QB of the future. You need, now you need to protect him. Get some guys up front who are going to protect him. And Orlando Brown He's going to do a pretty good job at that. So if I'm Jacksonville, I'm also giving Baltimore a call. Because, you know, you don't want Trevor Lawrence suffering a season-ending injury because your old line stinks. So, I mean, it's a good first step to draft a guy to protect your blind side. And we're going to... Next, we're going to get into the J.J. Watt release. The Texans just tearing everything down. Uh, Deshaun Watson's the last guy there that really just last pillar waiting to fall. Um, 
I know the Texans think they're going to keep him. They're not. Deshaun Watson has no intentions of being there whatsoever. He doesn't want to be there. And he's right. I wouldn't want to be there either. The McNair family has done a terrible job recently of trying to keep this team. Or, like, just... They've done a terrible job at just, you know, dealing with players, keeping them happy, making questionable front office moves, trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. Um... That, that, was just, that was a terrible move. And then... Then he, J.J. Watt is not happy. He, he apologized on behalf of the Texans organization. Uh, or on behalf of the Texans to Deshaun Watson saying, Sorry, we basically wasted a year of your career. And they did. It was terrible. But... Um, it didn't seem that long ago that the Texans were up 24-0 against Kansas City in the division round. And here we are, one of the worst teams in the NFL. It just shows you how quick things in the NFL could change. And it's ridiculous. But where does J.J. Watt go from here? Watt, 101 sacks, three-time defensive player of the year, five-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler. Probably going to have his jersey retired there in Houston. Just the impact he's had on and off the field for them. Great locker room guy. Great competitor. I mean, one of the best defensive players we've seen in our lifetime. But, you know, J.J. JJ Watt, he ranked 15th in pass rushing this past season. And who are the favorites? Obviously, there's Pittsburgh, who has both of the Watt brothers. And they could already add to a stacked defensive line. Imagine that. Cam Hayward, Stephon Tewitt, and J.J. Watt. Who you double teaming? And whoever they put on the end there, whether it be Bud Dupree, Alex Highsmith, who you gonna double team on that Pittsburgh D line? Who? Um, so Pittsburgh, uh, not definitely an option just because of family ties. And he maybe wants to play with his brothers. And next on the list for me is Green Bay. Why not go play for your hometown team there in Green Bay? You went to college in Wisconsin. You grew up in Wisconsin. Why not go play for the Wisconsin team, the Green Bay Packers? Team up with that bad man, Aaron Rodgers. And they have a pretty good defense. They're pretty stout up front. But adding J.J. Watt doesn't hurt. <laughs> adding J.J. Watt is just is that much more dangerous. It makes your pass rush that much more dangerous. Your run stopping. I mean, this J.J. Watt could line up anywhere on the defensive line, too. He's not just designated to one position. That's that's just that's amazing. That is just so, you know, so convenient for a team where you where a guy can line up in multiple positions and have the same impact anywhere. That's what J.J. Watt is. So definitely, you know, going there, Green Bay. Green Bay gets another piece to that defense on that defensive line to help rush the passer, stop the run. That's definitely an option. And another team, though, the Cleveland Browns. Whew. Yeah, J.J. Watt. Um, Olivier Vernon, I think, is a free agent. He just he had a season-ending injury. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. But, you know, uh, you team up with, uh, number one, Cleveland has a lot of cap space. 
Cleveland has a lot of cap space. But imagine this, Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt on the same defensive line. I know as a Steelers fan, I don't want to see that. Not with this O-line, no. Because those two are two of the most... I mean, J.J. Watt's a little older, but he, he's still productive. He's still a very productive player. You could still get some productive years out of J.J. Watt. But, you know, pick your poison. J.J. Watt or Miles Garrett? Woof! It's, it's a tough decision. Or J.J. Watt and Miles Garrett. So, like, that takes pressure off of Miles Garrett. And that also takes pressure off of J.J. Watt. And having those two guys coming off the edge, forget about it. Your QB is in trouble. In trouble. And those Cleveland Browns only get better if they make that move. And that defense only gets better. And they're already a pretty stout team up front. Because they have some pretty good young players up front. Up front. And you add J.J. Watt to the mix. Oof, that's a recipe for a disaster for an opposing team's offensive line. And then the Bills. The team that was in the AFC Championship, yeah, they're, they need a pass rusher. J.J. Watt makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. They, they need someone who could rush the... They need someone along that D-line. That's a fact of the matter. They need someone along that D-line who could get to the passer at a consistent rate. They need help in that regard. J.J. Watt's that guy. J.J. Watt could give you 10 sacks a year. I still think he could. Or at least... To me, between 8 and 10 sacks a year, I think J.J. Watt could still give you that. Um, I know the Bills don't have the most cap room, but I mean, you need some help on the defensive side of the ball, and what better way to do than adding a former three-time defensive player of the year and a guy who could, you know, has experience with Mahomes. And, you know, you, especially in, that, in the AFC, you want to get to Mahomes? Yeah, you want a guy who's going to push the pocket. J.J. Watt's that guy, and that's Kansas City offensive line. That's a weakness, so it wouldn't help adding a pass rusher to the equation. Same for the Browns. I mean, they had Kansas City 22-17. They almost beat them, so that would also help them. And last but not least, here we're going to transition into our last NFL topic. Uh, Marquise Pouncey retiring, finally calling it a career after 11 seasons, nine-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, including his rookie year, and he was a 2010s All-Decade team player. Um, the two seasons, he didn't make the Pro Bowl. The f- first season in 2013, he played he played eight snaps before having a season-ending injury. And the last t- season, he didn't make the Pro Bowl. 2015, he got hurt the first preseason game. So, yeah, yeah, those are the two seasons he didn't make Pro Bowl and he didn't even play a full season. So, yeah, um, Pouncey's to me, again, another Hall of Fame center for Pittsburgh, right up there with Dermani Dawson, Mike Webster. Steelers just have luck at this drafting great centers, and he was another great center, great enforcer, great teammate. He's a guy who set the tone. He had a little bit of an attitude, sort of a mean, nasty in the in the hole. He was a guy Pittsburgh liked to get out in space. You know, they ran screams, screens, sorry. They ran screens trying to get him out in space, trying to, you know, create, you know, basically just get him 
on a full head of steam running at a cornerback or a linebacker. So yeah, they like Pittsburgh liked using his athleticism out in space. You know, Ben called him. You know, he's had a lot of great teammates, and he basically said, "This is the best teammate and competitor I've ever had." And Ben's played with a lot of players, and that definitely says a lot about Marquis Pouncey. He's well loved in the locker room. Um, great guy. You know, he part of that 2010. I, I want a documentary on that 2010 Florida team because him and his brother were supposedly part of a gang during their time there. And that Florida team had a lot of characters on it. And him and his brother included. You know, he had Tim Tebow, Aaron Hernandez. I think those, there's definitely Riley Cooper. Uh, definitely more. I'm not going to go through the whole list just because uh, we're a little short on time. But. Uh, yeah, to Marquis Pouncey, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but Marquis Pouncey's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, you could argue that last season he wasn't a Pro Bowl. Okay, I'll give you that. He didn't play like a Pro Bowler that last season, but he still got it because the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. But, you know, you, Marquis Pouncey now moving on to his life after football, you know, you can't blame a guy for retiring, you know, health and health issues, family. So I'm not going to get mad at a guy for retiring. No, that's not the kind of person I am. There's a lot, they're risking their bodies week in, week out, spending time away from their families, especially this COVID year. You know, they had to spend a lot of time away from their families and quarantining and making sure that they didn't spread it to like a disease or COVID to the rest of the team. So they had to quarantine from their families, barely saw them. So I'm sure it was a tough season for these players. And Pouncey just, he didn't love the game anymore. And I'm not going to get mad at that. But for what does this mean for Pittsburgh? This opens up a gaping hole at center and leaves them very vulnerable across the offensive line. At two of the most important positions, left tackle and center. And what I think they're going to do Right now, with Pittsburgh, what would make the most sense for me? Zach Banner had a season-ending injury in the first game. I think they're going to give him a one-year prove-it deal, sort of, with him. They're going to move him to left tackle. I think they're going to sign... I heard Kelvin Beecham's name thrown around, a former left tackle for the Steelers. You know, maybe sign, like, a veteran to battle out for that left tackle position. And then, you know... You either draft a center or a running back in the first round. But what does that leave with Ben Roethlisberger? Because Ben vowed that he would play, him and Pouncey would retire together. Do I think Ben is going to retire? No, I think he's going to give it one more shot because he said he's going to honor his contract. I think he's going to give it one more shot with this Steeler team. And I'm not sure how good this team will be. They have a lot of question marks that are going to be answered this offseason. But we'll see. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to re-sign Zach Banner for one more year, move him to left tackle, and at center, I think they're going to they're going to have to draft a center or they're going to draft a running back in the first round, preferably Najee Harris, just saying. Wouldn't mind Najee, but yeah, um, this definitely opens up another hole, but you know, congrats to Marquise Pouncey on another great career. Just some of his notable moments. Um, to me, as a Steeler fan, you know, 
last or two years ago, the Cleveland game, when he got in a brawl with Miles Garrett, because Miles Garrett used his helmet as a weapon and beat Mason Ruff over the head with it. Marquise Pouncey literally just say, you know what, we're street fighting now. He starts going ham, kicking him, punching Miles Mar- Garrett. And that's one of the only suspensions all warrant because he stood up for his quarterback. And that's what I want to see out of an offensive lineman. Your job is to protect your quarterback at any and all costs. And he did it right there. Another play that stood out to me was, I think that was three years ago. They were playing the Panthers. That was the infamous Steelers collapse at the end of the season. I think they were 8-3-1 and one, and they lost four out of their last five mm. they lost three out of their last four i think they were eight three and one they lost three out of their last four to miss the playoffs like they controlled their own destiny and did that but they had a game against the panthers on a thursday night football that was the beginning of the panthers fall that season um, I think they were, I forget what week it was, but they were playing the Panthers Thursday night football. The Steelers routed them. Um, but, you know, late in the game, Ben took off, ran, escaped the pocket, ran for a first down, slid. Eric Reed tried to low. I'm not sure if he intentionally, he came in their shoulder first and tried to hit Ben. And David DeCastro and Marquise Pouncey went off on Eric Reed. They went ballistic. And Marquise Pouncey, again, he's a guy I personally liked just as a teammate, as an enforcer, and as a as a guy who sort of sets the tone down there in in the midst of that offensive line. He was sort of the leader of them, and losing him definitely does hurt. But time must go on, and you know, congrats on a great career for Marquise Pouncey. But um, that's going to lead us into our NBA segment. I know we're already over an hour, but, you know, we're going to try and move along with the NBA segment as quickly as possible. But we're switching gears now. And now we're going to get into the portion of the show. We're going to we're going to change courses a little bit. I haven't done this before. This is originally what I wanted to, for this show to be like, sort of a combo show. But I talk too long. So, you know, this episode's going to be a little bit longer just because we're combining the NFL and the NBA. But we're going we're gonna to go right on it and on ahead and do that. Because we're going to start our first topic here for the NBA is who is the Nets X Factor? This is a topic I saw in first take earlier in the week, actually. And Max Kellerman gave an answer that probably surprised some people, even Stephen A. Smith, but, you know, he said the Nets X Factor is DeAndre Jordan. And Stephen A. looked like at him like he usually does when he thinks someone is incorrect or out of their mind. He looks at him like they have three heads. And... I actually agree with Max on this one because the Nets fact X factor is DeAndre Jordan. We know what these other three players could do. KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. We know what they're all about, what they bring to the table offensively, all that kinds of stuff. But outside of Kevin Durant, who's who's 
Who's a defender? Who's the defender that they have? Yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't really think they had another defender either. But, you know, DeAndre Jordan, not that long ago, maybe, you know, he was definitely aided by Chris Paul and a little bit of Blake Griffin. But at one point in time, DeAndre Jordan was a first-team All-NBA player. Now, some of that is owed to Chris Paul and, you know, maybe Doc Rivers and the scheme that was around him there. Because, you know, you look at DeAndre Jordan now, no, there is no way in hell that he's a first-team All-Pro player. Or first-team anything. But DeAndre Jordan wasn't just an All-NBA player. He was a two-time All-Defensive player. Now, you know, All-NBA player, you know, you could... That's something, you know, as a center, you might be helped by... Your, your your teammates, your guys around you. And DeAndre Jordan was one of those players. He was a guy with a limited offensive skill set that could throw down anything. He could jump through the roof, go get the alley-oop. There was a reason that that Clippers team was nicknamed Lob City. They like throwing down lobs. It's pretty self-explanatory. But, you know, DeAndre Jordan, he made an all-defensive team. Two all-defensive teams. So, and, you know, usually to make those teams, you have to be a pretty good defender. You know, all defensive team is a is a pretty individual sort of thing, an all defensive team. You know, you don't just make those because you're on a good team or you, you people might think you're overrated. No, you make those because you actually could play defense. And DeAndre Jordan could play defense. I mean... He's averaging almost, he's averaging around one and a half blocks a game. And outside of Kevin Durant, he's probably their, 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 their second best defender. He needs to focus in on defending. And Kyrie got into him. I forget what game it was, but he didn't like the amount of effort that he was giving on defense. And DeAndre Jordan, you know, he needs to embrace this role. DeAndre Jordan. Listen, he doesn't have an offensive skill set. He's basically a guy who's going to dunk it home or finish very close to the rim on like a hook. He's not, he doesn't have a wide range of moves he could go to. He's a pretty straightforward center. He's a pretty throwback center. But DeAndre Jordan needs to buy into the fact that this team, that the that Nets have enough offense. You're not gonna get that many looks. You're sort of like an Andrew Bogut in the Warriors system. That's what you are. You're there to set screens, play defense, and rebound. And currently, he's not doing that. Um, DeAndre, again, he, he he's a guy who could get you 10 points and 10 rebounds a game. I, I still think he, he could get you 10 points a game. He could get you 10 rebounds pretty easily as well. And he, he needs to just embrace the role of being a defensive rim protector on a, setting screens, pick and rolls. That's what you need to do if you're DeAndre Jordan. You're not going to get looks offensively. You're not the focal point of this team. So just embrace your role. Rebound, defend, set screens. That's what you are right now, DeAndre Jordan. That's what you are. You can't shoot. You can't really pass. So embrace your role on this team. You want to win a championship? Here's your best chance right here. 
And all you have to do is exert your energy mostly on the defensive side of the ball and rebounding. That's it. That's what you have to do. Now, if you don't like this, then I think the Nets should personally trade you because that's what they need right now at center. They need an offensive rim protector who can rebound. Because you look at this team right now, 28th in points allowed, 26th in defensive efficiency, 26th in offensive rebounds allowed, 30th in field goals allowed, and 28th in turnovers. Oh, DeAndre, 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 this is a championship team. If you just, I mean, it still is a championship team, but you need to buy in and do play your role. That's all you have to do. I mean, I, I, I agree with Max here. For once in my life, you know, he sometimes has some good takes, and I agree with him here. DeAndre Jordan is their X factor because, if, you know, they don't have great defenders at the guard position. We know what KD is. He's a first-team all-defense, or at least should be, every single year. But, I mean, like, outside of KD, I mean, they need someone who maybe, you know, strikes some fear into you know, finish guys who can finish at the rim's eyes or, or, you know, you also have Joel Embiid in the East. If you're DeAndre Jordan, your number one priority has got to be shutting down the opposing team's big. Joel Embiid already wrote you a new one or ripped you a new one. So, um, I'd probably start playing defense if I was you, DeAndre, because the Nets... They need a guy who could play defense at the rim, and you need to be able to defend in the playoffs. And if he he could defend at a high level, we've seen it before. Now we may have aged a little, but you know, I I, I still think there's some defensive ability there in him. He still has the ability to be a pretty good defender. And if the, if he does that, if he buys into the role. As a, as a shot blocking, rebounding, you know, slam dunk machine, that makes the Nets that much more dangerous because you don't have a, a super highway to the rim. You actually have someone who's going to meet you there and, you know, attempt to block your shot and contest. But if DeAndre's not willing to do that, then there's a super highway going right to the rim because KD can only guard one guy. <laughs> and you don't want, you don't want your guards getting blown by every single time on their way while they're defending. You, you don't want that because then if they get blown by every time, you're going to get beaten on a rotation and the team's just going to beat you by passing the ball around. But if you have DeAndre Jordan there, you know, you know, step in, mate, take a charge, alter a shot. That's all you need. At least just a presence there that could alter a shot. And DeAndre could do that. But he's not right now. So Steve Nash or someone needs to say, DeAndre, you got three jobs. Play defense, rebound. Okay, maybe like four. Set screens and dunk. That's all you got to do, DeAndre. You've got this. I believe in you, DeAndre. That's, that's what Steve Nash needs to say. You can do this. You're not a focal point of this team. You just, you're, you're, you're a defensive anchor or defensive you're our last line of defense at the rim and we need you to play strong that's what DeAndre Jordan has to do that's it and now we're going to be moving into our next topic on the Miami Heat um and Jimmy Butler's impact with this team um Jimmy Butler you know when Jimmy Butler is playing with this Heat's team 
this Heat team, he's they're eight and five. When he's not playing, they are three and nine, and they're currently on a four-game win streak. He's played in every single one of those games. On the season, Jimmy's averaging 20.7 rebounds, seven assists, two steals. I mean, again, a, a pretty good stat line. But I don't think Jimmy's one of those guys where I don't think the stat line tells it all. And I love Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's, he, he's just, he's a guy who's going to go out there and fire up everyone on the court. Everyone rallies around Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's the motor of this Miami Heat team. You know, he's not putting up 30 points a game, but he plays hard defense. He play, he's play, He plays hard, period. You know, he's not the most talented offensive player. He's not the most gifted, but he does. He seems to just bring this energy and presence onto the court that makes, elevates this team to another level. It's it's quite infectious. And I, I think he's one of the few players in the NBA. He's not a tier one star, but I think he has the impact of a tier one star, like a LeBron James. Because listen, they're three and nine without him on the court. They're eight and five with him on the court. So that to me tells you there's something off when he's not on the court. There's something off when he's just, when he's not playing. And Jimmy Butler, he's infectious. Yeah, I, I liked his game in Chicago. I liked it in Minnesota. Minnesota was too soft. That locker room was too soft. Jimmy knew it. Jimmy called his teammates out and he beat them with third stringers because that's what Jimmy does because Jimmy's a baller. There's a reason his name is Jimmy Buckets. I love Jimmy Buckets. I, I love his, his energy, his effort. And his, his play on the defensive side of the ball. Because he prides himself on just shutting down the, the whoever he's guarding. Whether that be Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry. He doesn't care who you are. He's going to try and shut you down. And, you know, early in the season, this Heat team wasn't looking like a playoff team. In part because Jimmy Butler wasn't there. But they're slowly getting back into the mix. I think they're right now at the nine seed. They were struggling immensely, but this is a team I expected to rise back into playoff contention. And sure enough, they're doing just that. Um, again, they're eighth in defensive efficiency. Um, they, they pride themselves on defense. Um, they have, again... They're sixth in points allowed, fourth in field goals allowed, third in opponent, three-point percentage, eighth in three-point allowed, fourth in field goal percentage, and ninth in defensive rating. Listen, this team is going to give you problems scoring the ball in the playoffs. They're not going to allow you to score the ball. And whoever they match up with in the first round, I don't think they're going to get into the top four. I think they're going to be either five or six. But again, they could give a, a team around there a run for their money because they can defend. They can flat out defend. That's why they got to the into into the championship. They defended and they're, they're, they have guys who could hit shots at the end of games. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero's proven his worth. 
you know, Bam Adebayo, Goran Dragic, um, Duncan Robinson. They have a plethora of guys who could take the shot at the final buzzer that you wouldn't think, but this that you wouldn't think would take the final shot. But listen, Miami has a lot of faith in these guys, and they seem to come through time and time again for them. And they have no fear of taking the last shot. And this team has no fear of who they're playing. That's what's scary about them. And that's all comes from their leader, their motor, Jimmy Butler. That's their guy. It, it comes from the mindset of that the alpha. And he shows no fear to anyone. He believes they could beat anyone, and rightfully so. They got to the finals as a four seed, and watch out for them again. I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, took a team to seven or heck, maybe even upset them in the first round because they have the capability of doing that because of Jimmy Butler, the most infectious guy on that on that roster, the guy who gives you probably the best chance to win when he's on the court. But, you know, that's going to lead us into our next topic of these 76ers who just lost to the Suns, so they're now 18 and nine. Yes, the good old 76ers. Tough loss to Phoenix, but again, they're still the number one team in the East at 18 and 9, 11 and 2 at home. And they're still rocking and rolling, of course, led by Joel Embiid, 29 points and 11 rebounds on the season, one steal, one block, an astounding 31.18 PER, and 38% from three. This is this is Joel Embiid at his finest, at his finest. Like this man could just ball, straight up ball. You can't stop him, and he when he he's just been phenomenal this season. And you look at the guy right next to him, and as soon as Doc Rivers was coming to Philadelphia, I like this move because. Doc Rivers gets the best out of Tobias Harris. And what's he doing? He's having a pretty all-star caliber year. 20 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 51% from the field, and 42% from 3. Doc Rivers just knows how to, to get the best out of Tobias Harris. We saw it in L.A., and we're seeing it now. He's become a reliable second scorer and, and an all-star caliber player. He's playing so well. You know, people were criticizing him last year, coming after him. Is he worth the money? I think he's proven he's worth the money now as a as a capable second scorer right here for the 76ers. He, he's, he's been great. He gives, he gives the Sixers another offensive weapon, and he, he's been so much better this year than he was last year. And he's proving that, hey, I'm worth the money. I just needed the right coach. And Doc Rivers has been the right coach for him and for this team. Again, they had, you know, they added some new pieces in the offseason, but this team I don't think would be near as good under Brett Brown. I think Doc Rivers, they're immensely better under Doc Rivers. They just, they just, they they seem like they're re- like they're for real. 
Like, this team could win the Eastern Conference. Like, they're a good team. Like, they... They could take this. They could take the Nets to six, seven games. They could. When Joel Embiid is playing like this, and DeAndre Jordan, I mean DeAndre Jordan right now can't guard Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is too. No one can guard Joel Embiid. I'm sorry, no one could guard him with the way he's playing now. He he's my MVP right now. If I had to pick one guy in the NBA right now, LeBron. KD, the Joker, Steph Curry, all playing phenomenal basketball. But Joel Embiid has been on another level this season. And I think right now, if we're picking MVPs, that's my MVP. It's Joel Embiid. He's just, he's a walking, he's a walking 20 and 10. He's a walking 30 and 10 at this point. That's the level. He's he's a walking 30 and 10 night in and night out. He's just been virtually unstoppable. He's always been unstoppable in the post. Always. But he's expanded. He's shooting the three well now. He's he's got a jump shot. He's he's doing it every which way at seven feet tall. That's what's scary. Especially come playoff time. And he's and if he's still playing like this, whew. If I'm in the Easter Conference, look out. This is a team that does not, that you do not want to see at all. And then you have Tobias Harris evolving as a second scorer. Ben Simmons, the kind of, of playmaker he has become. And his defense. He, this team is, is sort of like Jimmy Butler on the defensive end. What, Jim, what Jimmy Butler means to the Heat on the defensive end, Ben Simmons means to the 76ers. You saw what he did to Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard lit the Sixers up. You know, the Sixers lost that game. And Carmelo Anthony seemed to get it going in that fourth quarter. And the Sixers didn't shoot well from three. Carmelo looked like Carmelo from the Nuggets. And Carmelo beat them in that fourth quarter. If it wasn't for him, the Sixers, Sixers probably win pretty easily. And this is why. Because Ben Simmons... He took Damian Lillard out of the ballgame. Damian Lillard had 19 at the end of the first. He had he had 11 the next three quarters combined because they put Ben Simmons on him. That length, that athleticism, he could guard one through one one through at least four, one through five, depending on the team. I mean, whew, he's so good on the defensive end of the ball. He, he's just. He's such a great asset for them. And and you just you just see it. I can't put words into it. You just see it when Ben Simmons is on the court. This team just plays differently. Him and Joel Embiid sort of had a have, they have a better um chemistry this year. That's helped them. They seem more in tune. So this Sixers team just the feeling around them. Like, I don't think this is the team that's going to collapse come playoff time. I think this is the team that could that could dominate in the Eastern Conference come playoff time with the way they're playing right now. They have been downright scary. Scary. And then it's it's not even, like, just, just those three. You look at Seth Curry. You look at 
Look at Tyrese Maxey off the bench. Shake Milton off the bench. Like, this is a good basketball team. And Shake Milton's giving them, I think he's their third leading scorer. I think he's giving them like around 14 a game off the bench. And Doc Rivers, and Doc Rivers was excited about this kid, and rightfully so, because he's playing great basketball. So, this starting lineup, if I'm correct, it's Embiid at the five, Harris at the four, um, I, I think it's Simmons at the point guard, Seth Curry at the shooting guard, and is it Danny Green at the small forward? I think that's what it is. Because if so, again, that's a great lineup. That is an outstanding lineup. That's that's a that's a playoff. Like, you know, you you get some shooters around Ben Simmons. You have Embiid in the post. You have Harris. I mean, this is just a good, good basketball team. And I I I just I can't wait to see this team come playoff time. I can't wait. Because this is a team that when they got into the playoffs under Brett Brown, Brett Brown, you know, sometimes they sort of didn't live up to expectations. But with this lineup, with these guys, I, th- I think they could. Yeah, I, I really do think this team is a threat when that happens. A huge threat when that happens. And they do it on both ends of the floor. They're eighth in points scored, ninth in points allowed, fourth in defensive efficiency. They're seventh in field goal percentage. That's them just shooting the basketball. That's their actual offensive field goal percentage. They're third in steals, first in blocks, and fifth in opponent field goal percentages. This team could lock you up at both ends. They're top ten in, you know, points scoring and basically not allowing the other team to score. This is just special. This is going to be a special team come playoff time. And all around, to me, this is the best team in the Eastern Conference. All around. Like, offensively and defensively. And to beat to beat the Nets, if I'm the Sixers, here's what I'm doing. Okay. You know, I, I told you the lineup. You have Curry at the one, Green at the Green at, or maybe Ben Simmons at the point, Curry at the two, Green at the three, Harris at the four, and Beat at the five. And I agree with that. So you're gonna you're gonna put you put Ben yeah you, you, to me you have to put Ben Simmons on Kevin Durant just because of the length, the size, the athleticism, and Kevin Durant's virtually unstoppable sometimes, just shooting thirty foot pull up jumpers. But Ben Simmons is your best shot at matching him. Just because of his size, you, you can't post Ben Simmons up easily. He's he, it's That's your best chance at stopping Durant. It's just putting Ben Simmons on KD and saying, beat us. And that could work. It could not work. It'll work some nights. It might not. It, will it work four out of the seven games? It, it'll be close. But to me, you don't have to shut down Kevin Durant. You have to limit him. Because he's their, he's their most efficient shooter, and it's sort of hard to shut him all the way down. So you sort of have to just limit him. And Kevin Durant's, and that's tough, because Kevin Durant isn't a guy who needs a lot of touches. But it's your best shot. you you got to just put Ben Simmons on KD and somehow try to get the ball out of KD's hands and make him shoot 
less. Like, make Kyrie and KD sort of beat you. And if I'm putting Seth Curry on Kyrie, I know that might not be a great matchup, but it's the best matchup you got. And then you put Danny Green on James Harden. Danny Green is arguably your best wing defender outside of Ben Simmons. And he's a playoff-savvy guy. He's been there before. He's just won the championship last year. He, he, he's been in the moment. He's had to hit big shots. He's had to take big shots. And he's had to defend. And Danny Green could still defend at a high enough level to affect James Harden. But if that's if that's if I'm the Sixers, that's what I'm doing to try and beat the Nets. That's the lineup I'm rolling with. You know, everyone probably has their different lineups, but that's the lineup I'm rolling with. That that lineup right there gives you the best chance to win. And it might even come down to your bench. Because listen, this Nets team isn't that big. Like depth-wise. They're not, they don't have a lot of depth. So your bench might be the key to you beating them. Your bench might need to come up huge and just because you can't let the Nets bench outscore you. The Nets don't have that kind of talent on the on their bench. The Nets are going to be a team that tries to match you on the bench. And if you're the Sixers, you could easily outscore them. Don't let them match you. Your bench is going to shake the Shake Milton's, the Tyree, Tyrese Maxey, Dwight Howard. You know, they're going after um, Nemanja Bialica, a guy who could stretch the floor and, you know, give them another option off the bench. He's a career 39% three-point shooter. So, I mean, you get him, you could give Tobias Harris a break because, you know, you look outside of Dwight Howard, you don't really have anyone as a backup four. And I think bringing in Bialica, especially since he hasn't been playing, you, you might be able to get him at a pretty reasonable price and bring him in and, you know, get some get more scoring along that bench unit because it wouldn't hurt. You need all the scoring you could get in the NBA nowadays. And bringing him in, especially at a position where you're weak, yeah, i definitely do it. Um, that's going to bring us to the team that actually beat the Sixers. The Hawks. Uh, uh, not the Hawks. Why did I say the Hawks? The Hawks, I wasn't even... Whatever. We're, we're talking about the Phoenix Suns, okay? We're talking about the Phoenix Suns, which have, who have now won five straight. And it hasn't been... This Phoenix team is interesting. They're very interesting. Just because of the fact that they haven't been winning games how I thought they would be. They're fourth in points allowed. They're 22nd points per game, despite all of that offensive firepower. They're more, they've been winning games on the defensive end of the ball. And it's been impressive. It, it, it's, you know, you have Devin Booker leading the way at 24, four rebounds, four assists, one steal. Chris Paul at 17 points, eight assists, and a steal. You have Miles Bridges, 15 points, six rebounds, and a, and a steal. And you have Aiden, 14 points, 13 rebounds, and a block. So, and we're used to this team, Devin Booker averaging 30. But no, Devin Booker's sort of sacrificed in a way. And he's, you know, he's still a very efficient from the field. He's still a very good player, but he's sort of sacrificed to the players around him, giving the ball up more to Chris Paul, getting the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. Because this is like uh, Ricky Rubio, I don't think he's a bad point guard. That's probably the first true point guard that 
Devin Booker has ever played with, Ricky Rubio, but you know, now you get play with a superstar, a floor general in Chris Paul. Um, this team, again, is a contender. They have seven teams averaging 10 or more points a game. That is amazing. That That is a di- diversifying your scoring. That shows, hey, you shut me down, there's six other guys here that can score. And one person has an off night, you know, you have other guys out there that could still give you production. So this team is, it's, it's not just Devin Booker and Chris Paul, it's Mikal Bridges. It's Cameron Johnson, it's Jay Crowder. Um, there, there's just a lot more to this team than just Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And then you look at a guy, Jay Crowder. You look at what he's done since he's been brought in. I think he's a guy who's sort of given them that edge defensively. He's sort of been a guy who who could he could guard multiple positions. Jay Crowder's a very good defender. And I think the Heat, you know, he was very good for the Heat in terms of, you know, defending multiple positions, multiple guys. Jay Crowder has the ability to do that, and I think he's sort of been a huge help and a huge reason why that this team is what it is on the defensive end. And then you look at a guy like Chris Paul. Although he is small, man, he could defend. He's a pit bull. He's not a guy who's going to back down from anyone. He's, he's a great floor general. He's a great distributor. He makes his teammates better. And it's it's helped Devin Booker out because he doesn't have this, so much focus on scoring now he could he could you know feed the ball to his teammates he could play off ball Devin Booker doesn't need the ball in his hands as much as he did in past years this is a team that's more of a of a team this isn't the Devin Booker show this is more of a team effort instead of just one guy um and honestly this is this isn't a team I want to see in the playoffs I think you know Although they're often they're 22nd in the NBA in points per game, listen, this team could drop 130 easy. This team could drop 130, 120 pretty easily. As I said, you have Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Aiden, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Mikal Bridges. I mean. There's a lot of guys here who could who, who could beat you. And if, you know, if you're, if you're, a, you know, a team in the West that's like one, one through three seeds, it, it's not a sure win against Phoenix. Phoenix could take you, you know, six games. Phoenix could take you, you know, Phoenix could take, the point is Phoenix could take you to six, seven games. They could extend this series. So they're not a team that I'd want to see. I mean, offensively, I said it, they have guys who could score. They're fourth in points per game. Defensively, I mean, there's just not really a, a weakness to this team. And then Offensively, you know, you're getting late in games. You arguably have two of the best clutch shooters in the NBA right now. Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Those two guys are ice-cold assassins at the end of games. We've seen it before, and I'm sure we'll see it again. These two 
can really get it going at the end of the game. They could feed off each other. They could really, they play well off each other. And they're two of the best at closing games and, you know, games that go down to the wire, shot for shot. Those are definitely two of the guys I want on my roster because of just their ability to make clutch shots. And that's going to bring us on to our last segment here. The Western Conference, you know, tightening up. What are my predictions for the Western Conference? And for our last sports segment of the day. It's been a long episode and props to anyone who has watched this straight through. I cannot express enough gratitude for the people that have watched this straight through. Thank you. Um, and our last topic, we're going to get into Western Conference standings and what are my playoff predictions right now, as it stands right now, because the Western Conference is really tight, especially at the top. You look at the top three teams. Those three teams are s- separated by two and a half games. We're talking about the Jazz. We're talking about the Lakers. We're talking about the Clippers. The Jazz have won six straight. The Lakers have won seven straight. And the Suns have won four straight. And then you have, you know, outside of those top eight teams, you have teams still fighting to get in. You have the Mavs that are one and a half back. The Pelicans, two and a half back. Grizzlies, one and a half back. And... You know, here's just my opinion on how this is going to end up. I'm just going to stick with the Lakers at one. I'm going to stick with the Lakers at one. Just because, listen, you got LeBron, you got AD, Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, KCP, Kyle Kuzma. Just so many weapons on that team. And it, you, you can't bet against LeBron and AD. Those, those guys are the best duo in the NBA right now at this moment. LeBron and AD, and I'm not betting against those two, especially come playoff time. I think they're going to get the one seed. The two seed, I'm going to go with the Utah Jazz, a team that not getting enough media attention. Donovan Mitchell should be in the MVP conversation. He shouldn't be number one, number two, but he should be in there. I mean, he's got this team playing well. He's got them number one in the Western Conference right now. And if you look at this team, they are top five in both points per game and points allowed. You have, you have Donovan Mitchell as the leading scorer. Then you then Jordan Clarkson has found his role. Jordan Clarkson is a bench scorer. He's dynamite off the bench. He should be in discussion for sixth man of the year award as far as I'm concerned right now. And then you got Rudy Gobert, the man in the middle, their defensive presence. A huge reason why they're top five in points allowed because of this guy right here. This guy can straight up lock your center down and protect the rim basically better than anyone in the NBA. He's your traditional big man. He's the the, the guy. He, he doesn't really have an outside game. He's an inside-oriented player. He's a guy who's going to finish close to the rim, but he can get you 10, 15 a night if you're lucky. He can get you anywhere in between there. 
But yeah, Rudy Gobert is your typical traditional big guy in the paint, defend the rim, rebound. That's and he does it at a high level to his credit. And then you have outside guys like Joe Ingles, Bolan Bogdanovich, you know, guys of those sort that sort of give you a boost on the three-point line, guys you could drive and kick with, you know, off ball. They can move off ball really well. And then, you know, we're going to move on to our third team, the L.A. Clippers. This is still a, a very formidable unit, a very formidable unit. They are, they're good at what they do. You have Kawhi Leonard, you have Paul George, your off-season addition of Serge Ibaka, Pat Bev, Lou Will. I mean, this is still a, a very good team and definitely in finals contention. They are, they've got two great defensive wings that could lock you up. You have Lou Will coming off the bench. You have that scrappy point guard for Pat Bev. And you have Avika Zubac down low. Who do they, who do they sign? Um, Luke Kennard, they signed him to a new deal. So, you know, they've got some weapons on their team as well. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to be up there when it all is said and done in the Western Conference. I think they're going to finish third. The fourth seed, I'm going with the, the Phoenix Suns, who are playing great basketball right now. And you look at, you look at this team. You got Chris Paul, Devin Booker, two guys who could close the game really well. Then you look at guys like Mikal Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Dario Saric, DeAndre Ayton. You know, DeAndre Ayton's a very, very promising young center. He's averaging around 15 and 13, I think, right now. So he 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 sort of gives them a boost at the center position. He's just, he's not, still not the best defender, but, you know, he's young. He will work on it. But this team, I think, you know, although they're only 22nd in the league in points per game, this and this team has the firepower to drop 130. Just off of Devin Booker, who is a, who's averaged 30 points per game before. Chris Paul, we know what he could do as a floor general, as a distributor. A guy who can help Devin Booker, you know, play more off ball and focus more on the defensive end of the ball as opposed to previous years when he's his main focus has just been to score the basketball. Devin Booker can now facilitate. He can find other guys. He has guys around him that he trusts and that he should trust. So this is going to be, again, I think this is this is sort of the dark horse of the Western Conference. I think the Phoenix Suns. Because everyone know, you know, everyone, you know, they know about the Suns. But when it comes to playoff time, I think, I think they're going to, they're going to give some teams a hard time. Just because, just because of that defense they're playing right now, which is among the best in the NBA. And they, they have that offensive firepower that I, although they're only averaging uh, I don't know how many points exactly. Listen, they could easily give it to you on any given night. And I think that this team is going to be very tough come playoff time. And then the the five seed, who we got? The Denver Nuggets, who have eight players in double digits. I think they're going to be the fifth seed right now. Listen, you have Jokic playing like 
an MVP candidate. You have Jamal Murray. We know what he can do. He, I think he's gonna. He's had a slow start to this season. I think he'll get it going eventually. Because, I mean, he's my favorite player in the NBA to watch. Like, in the playoffs, watching him last year, his game is just so smooth. And, like, I I like playing 2K. So, I like using Jamal Murray. Because I think his, his game is just so smooth. His shot. The crossover. I mean, whew, there's, a, there's not... There's not a lot not to like about Jamal Murray. There's just not. Because he's... He's, just, he's such a great player, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I think, you know, when the playoffs start, he turns it up to another level, especially last year. Jamal Murray turned it to another level last year in the playoffs. Will we see that again? I hope so, because I enjoyed watching it. I want to see that again. I want to see, especially if it's Suns Nuggets. These are two young teams. Oof. But I think, you know, I think the loss of Jeremy Grant is going to come back to haunt them. Because, again, this guy was one of their better defenders. He could switch on to people. Very versatile. And now he's he's balling in Detroit. Credit to him. Got a new deal. Went to Detroit. And he's balling. He's playing like a number one, the number one option over there. But I, I think that'll come back to bite him. And six through eight, this is where it gets tough because I think there are five teams that deserve to that, that that you can make an argument that they'll make the playoffs, but there's only three spots. I think you look at it. I think you have the Mavs, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, and the Blazers. Those are the five teams right now that I have in contention for that eight spot. Those are to me are the real contenders. Number six, I went with Dallas because I can't bet against Luka Doncic, who's almost averaging a triple-double. Chris Stapps, Porzingis, I think, you know, they have Tim Hardaway, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of worried where the scoring is going to come from outside of those three. That's what worries me. I know they have Josh Richardson, but, you know, they lost Seth Curry. They lost Seth Curry, and then they, who else did they lose? They lost, was it Wesley Matthews? I I don't think it was. Let me check. They lost someone else. Wesley Matthews, he's 34? Wow, I did not expect that. Um... No, they did not lose Weston. Who did they lose? I I know they lost. Hold on. Let me look. I know. Let me look. I just want to see that roster, man. Players. No, 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 no. Um, God, I forget who they lost. But I'm worried about their ability defensively because, you know, to me, they don't have a rim protector. Tim Hardaway, you have Trey Burke. 
they just they've got a lot of of guys. They they don't have a great defensive team. I, I'm more. They don't have a real great rim protector. I mean, Willie Colley Stein. He's all right. He's all right. I, I wouldn't consider him anything special. Special. Oh, they also lost Justin Jackson. Um, I mean, they lost Seth Curry. I think that's going to hurt them because Seth Curry is playing really well for for the Sixers currently. I, I, he's playing really well. And I, I think that's going to hurt him. He's, again, a great three-point shooter. But, I mean, he's proving to be a little bit more than that in Philadelphia. I mean... He's proving to be somewhat of a ball handler, a guy who could run the offense when asked to. So I think they're going to miss him a little bit too. But I still think this overall, this is still a good Mavericks team that could, that that is probably going to make the playoffs just because of Luka Doncic, Chris Stapps, Tim Hardaway. I, I think, but the problem is outside of those three, who's going to score? I know you have Jalen Brunson. Josh Richardson, but who's going to score? And also, to me, they're not a great defensive team. And it, 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 it's, it's going to be tough for them to match up with teams when their offense isn't going, isn't going well. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I still like this Mavericks team. But moving on to our seventh team, I've got the Portland Trailblazers. I'm not betting against Dame Dalla. They still have C.J. McCollum coming back. You have Gary Trent. You have Carmelo Anthony. You have a formidable center duo in Ennis Kanter, Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, this is this is still a very good team offensively. And when they're hitting shots, Shaq said it best. When they're hitting shots, they're tough to beat. They're a good basketball team. But it's, it's when they're not hitting shots is what I'm worried about. Because like the Mavericks... I mean, they have more scores than the Mavericks, but when it comes down to it, can this team play defense? And I don't think that's something Portland can do at a high level, play defense. You, ha- you have Rocco, I understand that, but it's not enough. You need more than just Rocco. You have Rodney Hood, but... I, I still, when they're hitting shots, they're on fire. But when they're not hitting shots, I, I'm, I'm really scared about what this team is when they're not hitting shots. And that's why they're at seven. And I, they, they have, you know, again, any this, these standings could be moved around. I think, as I said, this, I think it's a five team race for three spots. And the eighth seed, we're going, I, I'm going with the Warriors. I can't bet against Steph Curry. He's averaging 30 a game. You look at James Wiseman's giving them somewhat of a presence down low. Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, I, he's had a rough season. I hope he gets it going. I'm a Kelly Oubre fan. I love him. I'm a, I'm a Wizards fan, so I, I liked him in Washington. And he was taking some steps of growth, but they didn't re-sign him. So, you know, Wizards you know, made some dumb moves. This is one of them. But we're not talking about the Wizards. We're talking about the Warriors. So you also have Eric Pascal, Jordan Poole, Damian Lee. I mean, they've got some guys there, Draymond Green. But they're they're this this isn't the Warriors' year. I, I'm just 
I, I just have that much belief in Steph Curry, the MVP candidate that Steph Curry is, the shooter that Steph Curry is, the playmaker that Steph Curry is. I can't bet against the Warriors right now. I think they're going to get in as the eighth seed, but this they're lucky if they win a game. I might give them a game just for pity, just because of Steph Curry, the, the player Steph Curry is, but they're not going to be that, they're not going to make it that far. They're just not. But, you know, I think Steph Curry is just too good of a player not to get them in the playoffs. And But this team's real season begins next year when Klay Thompson returns from injury. And hopefully he's still a productive player because, again, I like Klay. I think he's a good dude. Doesn't talk much. But... You know, they're going to wait to see that's they're going to be at full strength next year. And this is a team I think is going to be right up there in the top of the Western Conference battling for the top four seeds, because, again, I, I still think this Warriors team could still be very, very lethal just because of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. And you also have James Wiseman, who's come along. And he'll be there next year and improving as well. So this team, I think, will be good next year. But this year, they're lucky if they win one playoff game. And that is going to be it for our sports segment of the show. Thank you for listening. Um, But don't go. Don't go. We got more left. I got some questions to answer. You know, I asked you guys some questions and I picked them out. And you want to find out what those questions are? Well, they're coming up next. Stay tuned. And this is the last segment of the day. This is the part of the show. I have not come up with a name for this part of the show. But this is the part of the show where I pick questions that you asked. Well, on my Snapchat, I posted, you know, what are some questions that, you know, that you want to be asked or some topic ideas for me to talk about. And today we're going to do three. I picked out three questions, three topics, um, and they were good. I actually enjoyed these topics that were picked out. Um, The first one we're going to start with is, what are some places I want to travel when I'm older? Where are some places I want to travel? My bad. Come on, Rick. I keep screwing up words, man. God. Can't do this. Too much pressure. JK, no, this isn't pressure. But, um, so I picked three places that I want to travel when I'm older. People are probably thinking, oh, tropical beaches, you know, islands. That totally makes sense. And that is definitely someone's cup of tea. But I am a history nerd. I am a history... I am obsessed with history, especially World War II or wars that have happened. So places that I want to travel, you know, are probably going to surprise some people. You're probably like, you ain't going on vacation, like, like to like a beach? No, like none of my, none of the places I picked are, are beaches. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's beaches in, I think there's beaches in one of these places, but no. The first place I want to travel, or my first, is Germany. 
Why Germany, Ricky? Why Germany? Well, as I said, I'm a history nut. So the Vorbunker, for those of you that don't know what the Vorbunker is, it is where Hitler ki- supposedly killed himself. For those, for you know, those conspiracy theorists out there, including myself, do I think that Hitler killed himself? Yeah, most likely. But it is, it is cool to think about. What if he didn't? What if he escaped Australia and lived out the rest of his life peacefully there? Possibility. Um, but, you know, you never know. But yes, Germany. So the Vorbunker is a Holocaust memorial. Holocaust memorial. The Dachau Memorial. That's a concentration camp in Germany. The Dachau. I think it was called Dachau. I think I might be butchering these names and I'm not even knowing it. So I apologize to any people that know how to do these names or know how to pronounce these names. So, you know, yes, I'm a history nut. So again, there's the Berlin Wall. There's pieces of Berlin Wall there. That'd be cool to go see. I mean, I just love it. I, you know, all the architecture there, even though, you know, some of it's probably modern, there definitely are like like architecture I, that's different here than in America. Like it, it's gotta be so cool just seeing the difference in like architecture, how things work over there compared to how things are in America. It's, it's gotta be like so cool. And I, I'd love to go there. There's the Corditz Castle. Um, there's a lot of castles in Germany, a lot. And that I think that'd be cool just going inside these castles, seeing, you know, what's in there. It just, it'd be so cool to just see all this ancient architecture, all this history in like one of like Europe, one of where civilization, like that's where we, everyone came from. Everyone came from Europe. Everyone came from these countries over there, over in Europe. So like just seeing like all these castles, all the history that could have happened inside them, I think it's just amazing. And I'd love to go there. Um, you know, there's the Battle of Berlin walkthrough. I didn't definitely enjoy doing that. You know, that for those of you that don't know what the Battle of Berlin was, that was the last, or at least one of the last battles of World War II, where the Russians finally collapsed into Berlin, and finally World War II was over, and Hitler killed himself, supposedly. <clears throat> but yes. Yes, the Russians finally collapsed the Eastern Wall that the Germans held and eventually just overran the remaining troops that Germany had, which were basically citizens. I think they at one point just gave citizens and were like, listen, we need you to protect the city. So the Russians were basically going up against German civilians at one point in this battle. Then to end the war, it was just an utter collapse by Germany. And what else is in Germany? Um, there's the Mercedes-Benz Car Museum. You know, Germany does have a lot of cars, car companies affiliated with them. The Mercedes-Benz. Um, there's the Memorial to the Murdered Jews. Um, I think that's worth like 2,400 like stone slabs of. They symbolize Jewish Jewish lives. I forget like what exactly it is they symbolize, but they yes they symbolize you know symbolize all the Jews that were killed in in World War II. Um, so I I, I just I, there's just a lot of history in Germany, and it's just something that I love love to see. 
And my next topic sticking with World War II countries, France. Oh, the city of love. Or Paris. Paris is the city of love. I'm an idiot. No, Valentine's Day was yesterday. I spent it alone. Like usual. That that doesn't matter. Because I was doing something I love. Podcasting. That's what I spent my Valentine's Day doing. And hanging out with my friends, of course. But, you know... Let's get back to France. I don't want to talk about my love life. That's that's a story for another day. Um, yes, but D-Day. Of course, visiting all those beaches. Sword, Juno, Gold, Omaha, Utah. Just being on the sands that these soldiers landed on and were just sprayed upon by the German army. They were sitting ducks. Sitting ducks, and they were just unfortunately just sprayed upon and just attacked by these german ships but they sacrificed their lives to get where we are today um we probably could be in a nazi controlled society if it weren't for if it weren't for these guys invading normandy beach um so yes definitely definitely something i'd visit there uh the liberation of france museum so you know when the U.S., British, French forces got France back, and they recaptured the city. Um, <clears throat> then there's the Kane Museum. Um, I think there was a couple battles near. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Khan is it Khan? Khan Museum? I don't know. But yes, Khan Khan Museum. I think there was a couple battles near there as well in France. So again, that'd be another cool place to go to. Um, then there's the Normandy Cemetery, just dedicated to, I think, all the soldiers that died on Normandy, whether U.S., Canadian, British, French, or I don't think it was French, it was just, it was U.S., British, the Canadians, I think those were the three. There might have been more, but I'm sorry if I'm just totally missing it. But <clears throat> um, the Museum of the Surrender, so... I think that's where they surrendered World War Two. you know, the, the official surrender of the German army. So I think that'd be an, another cool place to go to. And again, France is just such a beautiful, beautiful city or country. You know, you have Paris, there's Cannes, there's Normandy. There's just so many, so many beautiful places to visit. Just... The, there's like countryside it's, it's, it's all sorts of diverse you know landscapes there's a city there's the countryside there's the beaches so France is just definitely a, a cool diverse place to visit <clears throat> and of course you know you have the Eiffel Tower I mean that's a classic you know then there's the Airborne Museum the airplanes that were I think you some of the airplanes that were used in World War II were there I think for the French, and there probably is some other planes there. Um, the Notre Dame, um, you know, the bells, got to talk about Quasimodo. So, like, I mean, for those of you that don't know, again, I was, I was on stage crew for, um, I forget what the play's even called. I feel so uncultured right now. I feel embarrassed because, like, uh, the bell. I forget what it's 
Bells of Notre Dame. I forget what it, the, the play is actually called. Like, if Quasimodo. Let me just look up Quasimodo. I feel so uncultured. I just feel so... Quasimodo. No, no, not the artist. No. There's an artist called Quasimodo. The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So, yes. He lived up in the bell tower. You know, looking at the... I know that burnt down. It's getting rebuilt. But I still think it'd be a pretty cool place to visit. Just because of the amount of history. The age of the building. And just, you know, I, I still think it'd be a cool place to visit. And you have the Palace of Versailles. And that just seems like a magnificent piece of architecture. That looks such... It, it looks so cool. So cool. I love the, the architecture, like the difference in architecture in Europe and America, I think would be definitely the highlight of this. Just seeing, you know, how much different it is there than here. I, I, that would definitely be the highlight of that trip. And then you have the Arc de Triomphe. Again, you have the iconic World War II. World War II photo of, you know, the German troops just walking right down the Arc de Triomphe. And, you know, I think placing a Nazi flag on it or something like that. But, you know, again, another cool, again, all these historic sites, I just, I just would find so intriguing because, like, you know, like, just the amount of people that could have walked that path like in World War II, the, just the amount of history in Europe in general would amaze me. And it, it's just so cool. And they have the Memorial de la Choux. Memorial de la Ch Memorial de la Choux. Again, another very interesting site. Not something I know a heck of a lot about. Um, it's, it's, it's basically just the, the Holocaust Museum. It's temporarily closed. Come on, bro. I'm joking. I'm not going to France anytime soon. Um, yes, it's a, the Holocaust Museum. Again, it's just another, a lot of history. And I, again, I was in the Holocaust Museum in DC. I found that interesting. And I just find this stuff interesting because I don't think you could ever know enough about this stuff. At least I can't. I need to know everything and everything, every story, everything there needs to be known about World War II and past events. Because I, I just love, love, love finding out about the past. I love it. It's something that it just never grows old to me. Never, never grows old to me. And the final place we have to talk about is Switzerland. Yes, the Swiss, Swiss Alps, of course. Again, Switzerland just, I, this is just a different one for me. Switzerland just seems so happy and peaceful, but I just want to see what's going on over there. It seems, everyone seems so happy. Everyone seems so happy and peaceful. Like, it's, it's, and I like, I love being happy. I love being around people that number one, make me happy and are generally happy themselves. So it's, it's sort of just a good good match for like me i just want to see you know obviously there's the swiss alps there's countless castles 
I'm sure the food and na- the nature there has got to be incredible. Just the, the forest, the trees, the waterfalls, everything, nature. Ugh. It just seems like such a peaceful place to live, and I'd love to go visit there. Not for any historical significance, not for that. This would be a place I would go to just to get away, just to feel like I escaped reality and can just live freely and observe nature and its beauty. That would just be a place for me to just escape and just get away. There's no historical significance, nothing that I'm interested in historically in in Switzerland. It's just a beautiful place, in my opinion. It's just a beautiful place to live, and I love to just live just go visit there and just see what it's like because it just seems like such a peaceful place but yep and that's going to be all for the first question you know um you know if i was a skier i'd say i'd ski down like the the alps but i probably break bones trying to ski or snowboard because i'm just not good at balancing i'm not i don't have great balance generally it's it's not something i am good at but again if you're a skier and a snowboarder be my guest go to the swiss alps i'm sure it's great and i'd love i'd go there just to observe nature and just observe the culture and see how they live and why they're so peaceful But that brings us on to our second question. Someone wanted to know, am I interested in astrology? And I have to tell you this. No. I'm, again, astrology seems cool. Do I believe in astrology? I'm not sure if it's, like, entirely true. I don't know. I guess it's just it's just your opinion. And I have this one friend. She's a very close friend of mine. And I wouldn't trade our bond, our friendship for anything in the world. But, you know, we were just like, I don't know. I was just, we were just talking in a room. And I just see this book. And it's just like this big book of like the stories of like certain birthdays. And it literally is a book. I forget who she said got it for her. But... Someone got it for her, and it just has, like, all of, all of, like, all of, like, the birthdays and what they mean, like, what, the, what these, what they mean, what these people are, like, about, what, what their, like, qualities are, and, you know, she's one of those people who is obsessed, obsessed with this, like, obsessed with this notion of astrology and there's nothing wrong with that but you know if you're one of those people who judges like people oh you're like a gemini uh, i can't i can't be around you like i i don't i'm not one of i don't i don't get in like judging people off of like their birthdays that's not it i'm a taurus for anyone who's wondering i'm a taurus born on may 20th so I, I think, yeah, that, that makes me a Taurus, correct? Well, let me look, just, I, you know, just to, just to do some research. Taurus. Taurus is the second, a fundamental Taurus traits. Like, let's see, like, let's just see how accurate this is. 
Yes. Oh my God, I'm right on the deadline. Jeez, bro. April 20th to May 20th. Okay, key Taurus characteristics. Tauruses are considered to be the anchor of the zodiac. Their fixed modality means that that bulls love their stability and find comfort and consistency. Okay, yeah. People born under the Taurus sign also value honesty above. Yes. I do value honesty above anything else. Absolutely 100%. I need you to be open with me. If you're not open, I don't I don't go with that. They don't shy away from hard work. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I guess I don't shy away from hard work. I guess, yeah. The level of ambition and mental tenacity. Okay. Yeah, sure. I like that. Mental. As in, Tarian, Tarian, yeah, Tarians love pleasure and enjoy all things luxurious. I wouldn't say I love all things luxurious. Work hard, play hard. Yes, work hard, play hard is a motto that could be applied to me. Um, I, I wouldn't say all things luxurious and cozy or technically, you know. I do like cozy things. Luxurious, I don't really need a lot. I don't need luxurious things, but I definitely like cozy things. Negative Taurus traits. They're very set in their way. Um... I don't think I'm set in my ways. I don't think that's me. Um, aren't very fond of authority. Um, no, that's not me. If Tarians can can take their pleasure seeking outright laziness and listen, everyone procrastinates, bro. Like, come on. Everyone procrastinates. So, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, they can be huge perfectionists. Listen, um, I, I, I wouldn't consider myself a huge per- perfectionist, but, you know, I was looking like... I was looking at, like, you know, like, I've just put my first, like, package out there. I was already critiquing myself on what I could have done better. But I wouldn't consider myself a perf- perfectionist. Tars traits in a relationship, romantic. Yes. 100%. Once a Tars has chosen you, though, they're loyal, genuine, and yes, exactly. That's me. Trustworthy and dependable. Yes. Professional. Yeah. Advice for Tar. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but yes. Um, I do think I fit some of the traits of a Tars. I definitely do. But I, again, I do find it interesting, you know, pe- people might not be, you know, what their zodiac sign is or whatever, you know, that is. But, <clears throat> you know, some people could be the complete opposite of what, like, their thing says. So, again, do I believe in it? To, a, to an extent, I, I guess you could have similar qualities, like, whenever, whatever month you're born in. So, yeah, I believe in it to a certain extent. I do think I fit most of the qualities of a Taurus, at least in my opinion. I'm not sure what everyone else would say, but yeah, definitely. I definitely do fit most of, you know, what characterizes a Taurus. And we're going to get moving on here to our last, last, last 
question. What defines a good person? This is a question that has no right answer. There's no right answer for it. Everyone has their own own opinion on what a good person is. And, you know, I have qualities that I myself define as a good person. Number one, you have to be honest. I think you have to be honest, open, and transparent. That's the first step to me to being a good person. You need to be honest. You need to be open about, you know, yourself and how you're feeling and how you feel towards others. I don't, I don't like people who, you know, are mischievous, like lie about certain stuff. They're just not a good person, in my opinion. Honesty, um, loyalty. Loyalty, I think, is another thing. You know, you, you want a person who's going to be beside your... You know, by your side through thick and thin. You know, if you're in a fight, who's going to be right there to protect you if someone hits you? Loyalty. That's a huge part. You know, I try to exhibit these traits in terms of being being loyal, being honest and transparent. I, I try to, you know, emit those things. Um, honest, I mean... Those are the big two for me. Honesty and loyalty are two qualities that I think you need to have to be a good person. <clears throat> and, you know, most of these people I have around me, I'd say exhibit most of these qualities. I do have some, you know, friends that don't always exhibit most of these qualities. But again, I'm still their friend. But most of the people that I have around me, close to me, exhibit these qualities. But, you know, I think you also need to have, you need to be able to, being a good person, I think you need to be able to treat people good, no matter their status, race, anything like that. You need to treat people as equals. And I think that is something I try to pride myself on. I... I, I try to give everyone a clean sheet I, when I meet them, a clean sheet. And you know, I try, try to treat everyone the same. I try to treat everyone how I'd want to be treated. And that saying has been said a thousand times before, treat people how you want to be treated. And I think it is an important value that people need to have. Treat people how you would want to be treated. It's not that hard. Just treat people with respect. Treat people like they're human. Treat people like nice. Even if you don't like that person, they're still a person. Just treat them with respect. You don't need to like them. You just treat them with respect. Respect them. Respect, respect, respect. It's something that I think people need more of. People need to respect more. They need to respect others' beliefs, respect others' decisions, respect others, you know, differences. And that's something I don't think we do enough, you know, especially in politics. We don't. Politics is something that I don't like talking about personally. I hate it because, you know, sometimes when you're talking politics, no, some people just don't believe they're wrong and they think you're wrong. They think their their belief is wrong is the most moral and upright belief and your belief is just outlandish and that's just not something you need to take into consideration what the other person is saying and politics it's just all about beliefs and 
that you need to respect others' beliefs. Now, if their beliefs are openly racist and obviously wrong, then yes, then you could probably like critique them and say, what's wrong with you? You know, but listen, if, if they just have fundamental differences, listen, they, they just think differently. They think what, something should be done a different way than you do. And you can't hate on that. They just think differently than you do. And you have to respect that. But, you know, so we got respect, we got honesty, we got loyalty. I mean, trust, I could go on about, you know, you want people beside you who you trust, who you, who you, who you would risk or not risk, who would you place their life in their hands, that kind of trust. How, how much, how much do you trust them to get a certain task done? How much have they proven to you that to be trustworthy? Trustworthy, again, is just another one of those things that, you know, is very important in a, fr- in a friendship. But, you know, my two big things are honesty and loyalty. I want someone who's going to be open and honest with me, truthful, tell me what I don't want to hear. I also want someone who's going to be be, my, be by my side through anything, who I could depend on, who I, who I know in a back alley brawl, if we're outnumbered, that they're not running, they're fighting right by my side. But, you know, I, I just think being a likable person, just being likable, you know, having these likable traits, being nice, being funny, being open, like just like the, the just the little things, like putting yourself before others in certain certain situations where like, you know, hey, they need this more than I do. So, you know, give them a give <clears throat> just give up, you know. Give up I, I I don't know an example for this, but you know just just like you know, like you know, I don't, I, I don't know what to, what to say right there in terms of like putting yourself before others, but you know, <clears throat> not holding the door for someone, just being a gentleman, just being a, a, a genuine good person, being selfless, helping those around you, helping your friends when you need them. That is again what I, I try to pride myself on being selfless helping my friends when they're in need being there as like a counselor being there as someone who I know they could trust and talk to about anything and I won't let anyone know what we talked about or what we said that is my big thing I I, I like being a person that a people could trust knowing that their information is safe with me and whatever we talk about is strictly between us no one else outside of us and and you know if if i let the cat out of a out of the bag i feel terrible i feel like i feel like i i i lose their trust and and you know once i i'm a firm believer and once you lose someone's once someone loses your trust, that is something you could never get back, especially if it's something personal that you let out of the bag. So, you know, that's my qualities of a good person. And, you know, that's going to wrap it up here. Thanks for listening.
um and we'll we'll see you on the next episode it should be out in in two weeks but hey thanks again great episode